Second Peter chapter one, verse number five, where it says, "And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Add to your faith." God's part is to speak. You and I cannot create faith. We cannot manufacture it. If God doesn't give it, no amount of confession, shouting, giving, yelling, demanding, no amount of that will ever create faith. Faith comes. It's a gift. It's a fruit. God deals to every man the measure of faith. You cannot create it. I think I go on record very publicly, and people know this, that the teaching that we can confess and create faith is sheer nonsense. Confession may release faith, but we will never create it. It is God's part to speak And when you hear God, faith is birthed in you when you hear God. We do have a responsibility, and that is we are to add to our faith. There's God's side, and then there is our response. It always takes both for the release of miracle-working faith. We looked at briefly, let me summarize the things we've said in the last month or so on the subject of faith. If God does nothing, and we do something, we're in presumption. Presumption is you and I acting when God has not initiated. Presumption is trying to imitate somebody else's testimony without hearing God for yourself. Presumption is simply we are acting, maybe with good intentions, but we are acting without the initiative of the Holy Spirit. A key example of that in the Old Testament is when God said to the generation, back to the wilderness, 40 years, you're not going into the promised land now. And God had withdrawn his initiative and the people said, oh, no, 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 we'll go, we'll go. And they would try to go into the land of Canaan without the initiative of God. They went up in presumption and suffered horrific (coughs) defeat. Presumption is you and I acting, trying to act in faith, trying to make something happen when God has not spoken. But we want to get off the subject of presumption. And faith always begins with God speaking. So there we go. When God speaks. And he could speak in a variety of ways. He could speak to you while you're reading scripture. He could speak to you through a prophetic word. He could speak to you uh, through the preaching of a word. He could speak to you while you're in prayer or however. But you have that moment when you hear God talk. It's not just reading the Bible. You could read the Bible and not hear God. 
is that moment when you hear God speak. Romans 10:17 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I want to paraphrase that so it's understood better, faith comes when you hear God speak. If you're not hearing God speak, faith will not come. Faith comes when you hear God speak. But just because God has spoken and faith is imparted to you does not mean that faith will flow through you. And we have seen that there are three possible responses that we can give when God does speak. I'll go from the worst to the best. We could respond after you hear God with unbelief. Now the Bible is very clear, both Old Testament and New Testament, it's very clear that God's not happy with unbelief. Very clear. In Hebrews chapter 3 there's warnings. Don't harden your heart in unbelief. Don't repeat the same sin as that generation that came out of Egypt. But they all died in the wilderness. Even though they had seen miracle after miracle after miracle, they died in the wilderness because they had hardened their heart with unbelief and were warned very strongly in Scripture not to respond in unbelief. Unbelief is the choice not to hear what God said. You know God has spoken, but unbelief is the choice not to listen, not to obey, not to heed what God has spoken. When when Jesus encountered unbelief in his 12 disciples, you better we all better understand that Jesus was never easy on his disciples. Anytime they responded in unbelief, it always brought forth a strong rebuke from Jesus. Unbelief is something we cannot toy with. It's very, very destructive. So let's leave that one because we don't want to go there. Uh, If we have unbelief, then we are always reckoned in Scripture as... uh, Faithless. God has spoken. He's done his part. But we haven't responded properly. And unbelief always reckons us as being faithless in the New Testament. A better response, but also this gets the, the rebuke of the Lord, is when we respond not in unbelief, but with doubt or with fear. The Bible reckons you, if you are live in doubt and you live in fear after God has spoken, then the Bible calls us, O ye of little faith. It's not faithless, but it's O ye of little faith. Which means you might try getting out of the boat to walk on water and it walks and works for a while until you take your eyes off Jesus and you're looking at the wind and the waves instead of the Word, instead of Jesus, and you begin to sink. Why did you doubt, O ye of little faith? Jesus said to Peter in that instance. Uh, Again, when Jesus meets doubt and fear, when we hear God and our response is to entertain doubt, which is to entertain a second opinion. Okay, I heard the Lord, but I'm also hearing a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and this mixture of hearing the Lord and hearing circumstances and, and all of that, that also in the New Testament always brings a fairly strong word of rebuke from Jesus. 
And we have to appreciate that neither unbelief, nor doubt, nor fear are looked upon by the Lord lightly. He does deal with us rather strong if we respond like that. So let's leave doubt and fear, and I'm going to go for the best one, is that we respond by believing. What does that mean? It means that we are making the choice to agree with what we have heard God say. And when we make the choice to agree with what God has said, uh, then you hear the words of commendation from Jesus. Great is your faith. The Syrophoenician woman, great is your faith. The Roman centurion, great is your faith. Can't find faith like that in all of Israel, Jesus would say. It is the decision to agree To bring your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions, to bring it into alignment, to agree with what God has said. But we have to hear God speak first. You can't believe until he has first spoken. Otherwise, it's us attempting to do what only God can do, and that gets us nowhere. So we need to grasp, we need to understand that faith comes as a gift. You cannot manufacture it. You cannot produce it. It comes to you as a gift. And in order to understand this passage in 2 Peter, we've got to grasp that you can only receive it. You can't manufacture it. You cannot create it. You can only receive faith. It comes as a gift. It's listed as a gift of the Spirit, the gift of faith. It's listed as a fruit of the Spirit, In Galatians chapter 5, Romans says it comes by hearing God speak. Romans 12, as God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. And as it says in this chapter in front of you, if you still have it open, 2 Peter 1 and verse 1, it says, who have obtained like precious faith. The word obtain means it was given to you. You did not attain it. You did not work your way up and say, now I produce faith. You have obtained it. It means it came to you from a source outside yourself. It was given to you as a gift. When Jesus says, have the faith of God, he's saying, exchange your attempts at trying to produce something and just have the faith that comes by hearing God speak. When it says, have the faith of God, that is not suggesting imitate God. As you know, because some of the teaching goes, God created by speaking, and therefore if we have faith, the law of faith, we can create by speaking. That's the total misunderstanding, complete misunderstanding. When it says, have the faith of God, it's saying, have the faith that comes to you by hearing God speak. That's simply all what it means. You can't say to a mountain, be thou removed, until God first speaks. God has to give you that faith before you can speak to the mountain and be to say, be thou removed. It's uh, pretty straightforward. And we discovered this as we've been working through this series, that after God has spoken and faith is birthed inside of us, then this faith will do a variety of certain things. Faith births love on the inside of us. Galatians 5 and verse 6, it says, Faith which works by love. 
Now what that means is the true, genuine faith begets, gives birth to love in us and then expresses itself through that love. Growth in character is impossible without hearing God speak. I want to say that again. Growing in character is impossible unless you hear God speak. Did we catch that? We are related to a God who talks. We are related to a God who makes himself known to us by speaking. And as believers, we need to be in this relationship with a talking God. This voice of God heard in our spirits produces faith. And this faith produces the fruit of love. If we want to grow in love, we want to grow in character, it has to be by continually hearing the voice of God speaking to us. A relationship with the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital. Completely vital. We need this relationship with the Holy Spirit in order to hear God speak. And faith is the, I'm sorry, love is the byproduct of faith being birthed in us. There's no other way to grow in love but to hear God speak. Another thing that is birthed in us is hope. When we hear God speak, it produces desire for fulfillment. It produces an expectation of the future. And hope only comes to us by way of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And hope is birthed in us by hearing the voice of the Lord. The problem that so many people have is they try to put these things in front of faith to produce faith. If I could love better, I'd have more faith. If I would hope more, faith would be there. If I do this and if I do that, I can produce faith. No, none of those produce faith. All of these are the fruit of hearing God. None of them produce faith. We follow? It's very simple. It's, don't put the cart in front of the horse. Hearing God always comes first. And love comes after that. Hearing God comes first. Hope comes after that. Um, how do we demonstrate that we believe? And, and two things we demonstrate by the word trust. Is that we simply trust ourselves to what we know God has said. We trust the character of this one who has spoken to us. And trust in the Bible is the antidote to fear. How do we overcome fear? By trusting in the character of the God who speaks to us. We demonstrate, live out the faith by trust. And as the old hymn goes, we also demonstrate it by obedience. So as the old hymn says, trust and obey For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Faith is always demonstrated by trust and it's always demonstrated by obedience. Those are the things that we have been looking at. Once we have received faith, then what happens? Then we must learn to release it. And that's where confession can come in. Confession can release faith, but will never create it. Um, this is sometimes giving releases faith, but giving never creates it. 
obedience and trust are ways that faith are, are to be released. But let's go back to this one simple concept before we get to Second Peter, is that the basic building block upon which your life is going to grow, mature, and develop is that the fact that you have received faith as a gift. It has come to you. God graciously speaks. God graciously imparts that faith to you. And that faith now becomes the basic building block of your Christian life. That is the basic build. You and I can't create that basic building block. We can only receive it. And that is going to be so important. Now, with that in mind, Second Peter, starting at verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, I want you to hear that phrase, to those who have obtained. How did you get it? Where did this faith come? How did you get it? You obtained it. It was given to you. You did not create it. It was given to you. How do you get it? Hearing God speak. That's how it comes. You have obtained it. Now it goes on, verse 2, say, Grace and peace be multiplied to you. No, I like that, because my part, as we will see down in verse 5, is to add to the faith But God doesn't add, He multiplies. We get the better deal. He multiplies, I've got to add, but when He deals with me, He doesn't add, He multiplies. That's a good thing. How many know that 3 times 3 is more than 3 plus 3? Multiplication gets better results. Bigger results. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that has called us by glory and virtue, whereby are giving unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence... Add, add to your faith. I have to give a proper response. God's part is to impart faith by speaking. Once I have heard God and faith is imparted to me, in order to build my life, I have to give the proper response to this. And I am to add to this faith. What am I supposed to add? Virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, you end up with charity or love. In other words, as I respond properly to the word of the Lord in my life, the end result is faith is going to give way to love. Faith gives birth to love. But I've got to learn to respond to the word of the Lord properly. Verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many would really like to know Him? How many really would like to know Him? 
How many would like to be, not be barren in your knowledge of the Lord? How many would like to not be unfruitful in knowing the Lord? Well, we're told how to get there. Verse 9, he that laughs these things is blind. Cannot see afar off. Forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence. For the second time, he says, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. How often will you fall? Wow. How many like to live your life where you just never stumble? Anybody? Want to go through your Christian life without blowing it, without stumbling? Wow. Never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's ask some basic questions of this passage of Scripture. First question, why is Peter writing this epistle? Some basic questions. Why is he writing? And the answer is very simple. It's it's found in chapter 2 and verse number 1. The reason for this epistle is because he is warning the church and protecting them against false teachers. There are people who are going to come in and try to teach you things that are not right. And so he's writing this epistle to warn people against false teachers. Now it's interesting, the best safeguard you and I can have against false teaching, the remedy is very simple. And the remedy is to grow in your knowledge of God. Now when it says your knowledge of God, it doesn't say grow in your knowledge of the Bible. Though, as a teacher, I would admonish you to grow in knowledge of your Bible. But you can know your Bibles inside and out and not know God. It's knowing God Himself. A living, vibrant relationship. A God that you talk to and a God that you commune with. The best way you can identify false teaching is because you know the teacher Himself. You personally know the Lord in an intimate manner. That is the way, and we're going to see that Peter says that in this epistle. Knowledge is one of the key words all through Second Peter. But it's not head knowledge, it's not book knowledge, but it's the knowledge that comes from association. It means you adore the Lord, you meditate on the Lord, you contemplate the Lord. You're concentrating upon Him. You're approaching near to Him with love. You're fixing the powers of your soul upon Him. Close meditation. He's the yearning of your heart. You're talking relationship. When it says the knowledge of God is not book knowledge. It's not the knowledge of theology, though that's important. It's knowing God personally in relationship. That's the best way to protect yourself from false teachers, is to know the Lord. Amen. Is to know the Lord. Now, the results, uh, according to First Pe- or Second Peter here, are amazing. Just look at some of the, the results. Verse number 2, grace and peace are multiplied to you. 
silly question. But how many would like peace multiplied in your life? Anybody? Would you really like peace to be multiplied? Would you like grace to be multiplied in your experience? How does it come? Through knowing Him. That's what it says in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God. As you get to personally know Him, grace and peace are multiplied. Verse 5, I have to do the adding, but He doesn't add, He multiplies. Wonderful. Another thing that it says in verse number 3, it says that we discover that Everything that you and I need for living will be provided. Verse number 3, His divine power has given unto us all things. How many? All things that pertain to life. What do you need in your life? What do you need God to do for you? What breakthrough do you need in your soul? What breakthrough do you need in your heart? What do you need the God to do for you? It says everything, all things that pertain to your life and godliness have been provided for you, but how does it become actual in your experience? Verse number 3, it says, through the knowledge of Him. By knowing Him. Relationship. Personally knowing Him is our possession as we seek the Lord. The third result that comes out of this is that we are being prepared for eternal reward. I know you've heard me say it. But the end of the story is glory. There is a destiny ahead of you and I. And I really, really struggle with a, a gospel preaching message that falls short where the goal is to get people to go to heaven when they die. I struggle with that kind of a presentation of the gospel. Thank God people do, do after they die, they do, absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Wonderful provision for what happens to you after death. But the goal of God is not to get you to heaven after you die. That's just one stop on the journey. The end of the story is glory. The end of the story is the appearing of Jesus. The end of the story is the resurrection of your body. The end of the story is joint hair with, together with Christ in His kingdom. The end of the story is being glorified together with the Lord. And that is the destiny that's in front of you. And that's the destiny that's in front of me. And if we happen to die before the Lord comes, yes, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But after I'm present with the Lord, I'm still coming back for a resurrected body to share in the glory of His appearing. The end of the story is glory. And we are being prepared. That's where it says in verse number 4, we've been giving exceeding great and precious promises. What is that promise? Well, 1 Peter 5.10 is to appear with the Lord in glory. Hallelujah. 
Let's get the big picture. Let's get the big picture of where we're going and our sense of destiny. So the big picture, here we are. That line represents man as he started. The end of the story is glory. That's the appearing of Jesus. But you see the little dip in the line, don't you? Because man did sin. And Romans 3.23, when he sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory. And now that you're justified, the, line, you know, the dots go back to the line. Now that you're justified, you're back on the line that leads you to glory. Too often, we think just getting back to the line is the end of the story. No. You're back on the line to go to glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus. So we have to know where we're headed. We have to know where we're headed. According to verse 3, we have been called to glory. You see that in verse number 3. We have been called to glory. We've been called by His virtue. God has, has spoken. God has given that divine an initiative. You are called to inherit the inheritance of Christ. I, you, there's nobody can describe that accurately. It's beyond our comprehension. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is it in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, because our mind ain't going to figure it out. It's, it's beyond us. That's why we need to speak in tongues, is because our, our lips will never be able to articulate it. We need supernatural help to receive and supernatural help to express Because what God has for us is far beyond our mortal capacity to receive or understand or to process. So thank God for the gift of the Holy Ghost. When we heard the gospel, we were amazed at the nature, the perfections of this God who has called us. We find ourselves drawn to know Him. There's something about His excellence that captivates our hearts. And we're drawn to this one who so loved us and gave himself for us. You know, but when he called us, we were way down there, stuck in, in corruption. That's what it says in verse 4. We have escaped the corruption that is in this world. How many are glad to be out of there? Anybody? Glad to be out of the corruption that is in this world. That word corruption, Peter uses it a lot in Second Peter. It's a key word that he uses throughout this epistle to describe the condition of the present world. This present world is perishing. This present world is on its way out. It's full of moral decay. It's corrupting. Thank God you and I are coming under the sound of the gospel that we have escaped it. Amen. Thank God we've escaped it. Because this world's going down. It's been judged and it's going down. It's full of corruption. And you and I have escaped the judgment of this world. Wonderful, wonderful truth. And you know what? I'm going to an inheritance that's incorruptible. I was saved by something incorruptible not silver or gold but the precious blood of Jesus 
And I'm going to a destiny of glory that is incorruptible. Folks, whatever it costs us to get on that journey and get moving, it is more than worth it. It is more than worth it. According to verse number 4, we've got promises. At the end of the story, there's glory. I mean, just think about it. The end of your salvation is to participate in the glory at the appearing of Jesus. What motivation? These are precious promises. An interesting study you should do is read 1 Peter and 2 Peter and just see how many times he uses the word precious. It's abundant. The precious blood of Christ. The precious promises that he has given us. And in the meanwhile, he's making us partakers of his divine nature. We are being transformed. We're moving forward. In the words of Paul, we're going from glory to glory. What the Holy Spirit does, this divine power of the Holy Spirit, allows me to taste, allows me an appetizer, allows me to experience to a degree, in the present time, the power that will be fully explosive at His appearing. I mean, just think, at His appearing, the resurrection of your body. Think about it. Anybody ever get tired? Anybody get weary? Ever you just need to go to sleep for a while? Need a rest? Ever feel as if you've got so much you would like to do, but your body just won't let you? Anybody, or is that just me? Anybody feel restricted by weariness and tiredness and there's goals you like to accomplish, but your body just ain't going to hang out with you for it? Think about it. Think about having that resurrected body. No sickness, no weariness, no tiredness, no pain, no suffering. And your body perfectly executes to perfection every desire of your soul. Oh, even so come. Even so come, Lord Jesus. A body that expresses your heart's desire rather than fights with it. I mean, we can only just just imagine uh, we're tasted and seeing. You know, and every time there's a miracle of healing, it's a foretaste of that power. It's a foretaste of that power. When God will raise all the dead at His appearing, and all the, these natural bodies become spiritual bodies, and this weakness is exchanged for power, and this corruption puts on incorruption, and this mortal puts on immortality. Boy, when God heals the sick, that is a taste of what every believer will experience in fullness at His appearing. So the Holy Spirit allows us to this foretaste. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the revelation. I mean, don't you like it when the Lord prophesies to us and, and, and He speaks to us through prophecy and, and we get a little hint of what's in His mind and in His heart? Don't you just love that? Boy, but on that day, we're going to know as we're known. We won't be prophesying in part anymore because in that day we'll have the capacity to see the whole picture. 
But prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit is just God just giving you appetizers. Just appetizers. You know, the, the, the future that we have is wonderful. Now, our task is to go from where we are and move forward to participate. The, he's given the provision. How do we do it? Now, the provision is this. He's given you the basic building block. Growth and maturity. Development of your character. Moving forward in the purposes of God. Having your life reformed. Growing in the knowledge of God. He has given you the basic building block. And that basic building block is faith. You live by faith. You walk by faith. You serve by faith. The work of the Lord is accomplished by faith. You take Jericho by faith. You cross the Jordan River by faith. Sarah gives birth to Isaac by faith. Abraham gets to the promised land by faith. Rahab was saved by faith. Moses endured by faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith. We minister by faith. The entire Christian life is built on this basic block that God has given you faith. And that only comes in one way. You can't confess your way into faith. You cannot give your way into faith. You cannot fast your way into faith. You can't pray your way into faith. There's only one way, and that's hearing God speak. So God, speak. Your servant is listening. The basic building block is God has given faith. And that's why it says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 1, he starts out with this fact. Before he talks about grace and peace being multiplied, before he talks about being a partaker of his divine nature, before he says everything you need for life and godliness has been provided, before he talks to you about exceeding great and precious promises, the first thing he's going to say to this is you've received a gift, faith. Everything starts there. You have received this precious gift, the gift of faith. It is the basic building block. Now I have to give a response to it, and that's in verse number 5, to add to our faith. Forgive me for the repetition, but how does faith come? By hearing God speak. By hearing God speak. Maybe when you heard a gospel message and you heard God speak to you. You heard more than a gospel message. You heard God. Because you can hear gospel messages and not hear God. You can even respond to gospel messages and not even hear God. And it's evident two hours after that you didn't hear God. But you responded, but you didn't hear God. It's hearing God that makes the difference and counts. So he's given the basic building block of faith and the next thing he's given 
is according to His divine power. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And again, just like faith comes to you as a gift, the Holy Spirit, you can't earn your way into the Holy Spirit either. It's a gift. So the whole Christian life begins with God giving you gifts. He gives you the building blocks you need. He gives you the gift of faith. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And through His divine power, this obvious reference to the Holy Spirit as the dynamis of God, who will empower us to do, to do for us what is necessary, the gift of faith, we're going to move forward in all that God has in our Christian life. But moving forward means we understand this. But let's now move to our side of the equation. God's side of the equation was what? He speaks. He gives faith. He imparts it. Now that He has given it, what is my response? In First Peter or Second Peter, there's about four things here that tells us our responsibility is. The first one is found in chapter one and verse five. The old King James says, "Besides this, or if I was to paraphrase, it says, "In the light of what God has given you." In the light of the fact that he's spoken and you receive faith. In the light of the fact that you have received the Holy Spirit. In the light of the fact that grace and peace are to be multiplied. In light of the fact that everything you need for your life is provided in the person of the Holy Spirit. In the light of all of this, make sure that you're giving the right response to the Lord. He has spoken. Faith has been imparted to you. So the first response is to give diligence. Now, if I tell you I want you to give diligence, if you tell me you want me to give diligence, what are you telling me? If you're telling me to be diligent about something, what are you telling me to do? Does that allow me to have a a whole hum attitude? Does allow me to do nothing about it till I see you next week? Or, or when you tell me to give diligence. Or this could be translated, make haste. What does it mean, make haste? It means act on it quickly. Do you remember the parable of the sower and the seed? Do you remember that? When some of the ground that the sower sowed, and some of the seed just fell on the hard ground, what happened immediately? The birds of the air, the fowls of the air, what did they do? Immediately took it away before it can have any influence. And so Peter is saying, when you hear the word of God, give it a response, be diligent, make haste, don't lose it. We have a responsibility. Be very quick to fulfill our proper response to what God is saying and what God is doing. When it says give diligence, that can be translated make haste, or it can be translated bring in by the side. In other words, do everything in your power to harmonize with it. Harmonize with what God has said. If you find yourself full of fear, deal with it. If you find yourself doubting, deal with it. 
But har- bring, do whatever it takes to harmonize yourself with what you have heard God say. Don't let the moment slip by because if it slips by, you just miss the opportunity. And you have to trust that sometime again in your life, God will speak. When God speaks, respond to it and don't miss it. Don't delay and don't miss it. As Paul the Apostle would say, let us work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. In other words, set yourself to agree with what God has said. Make the decision. And then it goes on to say, the next thing we're supposed to do in verse number 5 is to add to your faith. And I'll explain this more the next time we speak on the subject, not tonight. But the idea of adding to your faith is is, is like this concept. If you're going to go into a recording studio, you've written a song, and you're going to record it. So you can have CDs or MP3s, whatever people use these days, and people can listen to this. You've got your basic song. But you know, if it's going to be a bestseller, you need to hire some musicians. You don't want to just go in there with your voice. You need a keyboard player. You need maybe a trumpet player. Maybe you need some violins. Maybe you need some drums. Maybe you need a guitar player. Maybe you need an electric guitar player. Maybe you need a bass player. Maybe you need flute. Maybe you need a whole chorus of singers behind you or whatever. But in order to make it a bestseller, it's going to cost you something. You've got the basic ingredient, but you've got to add to it. And when it says add to your faith, if I was to transliterate that into an exact modern English, it means dig deep into your pocket and start paying the expenses of all the musicians you're going to hire. That it's going to cost you to make this thing a hit record. It's going to cost you. God has spoken to you. To let it have the full influence and impact in your life, it's going to cost you something. Casual listening to the Word of God doesn't produce the fruit. Casual listening to the Word of God isn't going to get you to the promise. Casual listening to the Word of God isn't going to see grace and peace being multiplied to you. Once you hear God get serious about responding to what He says, dig into your pocket and bring out whatever money it's going to take to hire those musicians. Now, obviously, we're not talking about money here, but you've got to dig into your heart, and you've got to dig into your soul, and you're going to have to put some courage behind that faith, because not everything that God says to you is an easy thing. You know, Abraham, go slay your son Isaac. How many of you have to dig into a soul a little bit to obey that? Open your mouth and prophesy. How many know some people are going to have to dig some deep into their souls so they can open their mouth in public and speak? Want you to give your testimony publicly. How many know some people are going to have to dig some pretty deep into their own hearts and do that? When God speaks, you're going to have to dig into your soul and to see what it's going to cost us to do these things. So when it says, add to your faith, it means dig into your soul 
and whatever it's going to take to bring yourself into harmony. Don't let fear, don't let doubt, don't let unbelief stop you from working with what God has said. Add to your faith. And I think there's about seven things here that we have to add. We want faith to have its impact in our life. There's some things. After he says, add to our faith, and he tells us what the list is, when you get down to verse number 10, he says, for the second time, give diligence. Now, how many knows if he says something twice, it's got to be important? He says, before what you add to your faith, he says, give diligence. And after he tells you what you need to do to add to it, he says, give diligence again. And what, what he's saying is, make haste in fulfilling your responsibilities. Make responding to the Word of God a lifelong effort. Be earnest. Do not be a casual listener to the Word of God. You see, God has provided the sun and the soil, but if you want to harvest, you're going to have to provide the work. Is that correct? He's given the sun, He's given the soil, and He even gives the rain, and lots of it at times. But if you want to harvest... You have to put in the work. You have to sow the seed. In other words, God's done His part. We've got to do our part. Make a lifelong effort in doing this. Invest ourselves in letting the Word of God influence who we are and what we are. And verse number 10, the next thing that he says is to make your calling and your election sure. Don't frustrate the grace of God. God has granted to you and I a divine invitation to participate in glory. Wow. A divine invitation that culminates in glory. While the world may reject us, God's chosen us. Hallelujah. So let's act upon it. So that the end before us is stable, it's firm, it's steadfast. Let us do our part. Let us respond properly so that we can get where we're going. Make our calling and election sure. And then quickly, the ultimate. The ultimate. Three things here. The result of us doing this is constant development of the knowledge of God. That's what we're told in verse number 8. It says, if these things are in you, if you're giving this the proper response, if you're putting the effort into giving faith the proper response in your life, look what it says. It says, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we fulfill our responsibilities, if we're not idle, if we're not lazy, and if we're not shunning the labor of our proper response, what will happen is that we will not be unfruitful in knowing Him. Not just knowing about Him, but personally knowing Him. If we would put the effort to adding to our faith, dig it into our souls to make sure we're given the right response, Put the effort in to overcome fear, to overcome doubt, to overcome unbelief. Put the effort in to give it the right response. You will 
know Him in a very intimate, personal way. Amen. The constant developing. And the second thing, and we said this in verse number 10, if you do these things, you will never fall. So when will you fall? Excuse me? At what time will you fall? Never. Just think of Peter, the guy who wrote this, he fell quite a bit, didn't he? You read this story in the Gospels, but he learned this secret. The, the guy speaking from experience, and if we would put the effort in to bring our souls to agree with what God has spoken to us, never fall, never stumble, never err, never make a mistake, and never become wretched. Wow. That's powerful stuff. That's powerful stuff. And finally, the last thing, verse number 11, if we would do our part, then it says that an abundant entrance will be ministered into our inheritance. What that means is when the Lord appears, as we have added to our faith the proper response, He adds to us the inheritance. His adding to us is dependent upon how we add to our faith. How we respond to that. Powerful. Powerful stuff. But Peter's whole thing here is to explain to us our response. We have been emphasizing in this series on faith, we have been emphasizing this truth, that faith can only come from God, you can't produce it. We've said that so many times. But after God has spoken, it requires the correct response from us. And Peter, Second Peter, is all about giving that right response. Interesting stuff, isn't it? But thank God, He has given you and I the basic building block. The gift of faith. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us everything we need to participate in His great salvation, the appearing of the Lord. Now let us give the proper response to the faith that he is given. Amen. Amen.